Well, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the World Craft Club. Today, we are super excited to bring you an episode on magic. Magic is a pretty important piece of most fantasy world building. And so we're really excited. I'm really excited to talk about this with James and with Marcus. Before we get into that, however, I do have a couple announcements. We have some exciting things coming up. We are going to be celebrating Punkvember in less than a month. It's going to be a fun month. We're going to be doing two extra episodes that month in order to celebrate the release of CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077. Oh man, we're excited for this game. We've got our pre-orders and we are super, super stoked for this. We're going to be doing a deep dive on this game. There's a ton of world building content that CD Projekt Red has developed and we are super excited to explore the whole thing. Now, if you are interested in getting more content from the Worldcraft Club, like you will be this month, definitely check out our Patreon. For $2 a month, you can get additional episodes. You get to interact with us, which is awesome. We use Patreon to interact with our fans and to uh, talk about world building in a more intimate way. It's a, it's a bit more relaxed than the official podcast. It's a great time and you should definitely come and check us out. But without further ado, let's say good morning to our hosts. James, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Uh, this is the first one we've done in a little while where we've done like a morning recording and there was a time in my life not so long ago where I wake up at four every morning and uh, lately I've been spoiled. I've been used to being getting up at you know, five, five thirty. So now I am an hour earlier than I'd usually like to be. And I'm drinking coffee that I accidentally spooned way too much coffee into. So like it's rich, oh, it's good. dark and it hurts to drink. So you're going to be our uh, probably most talkative person in about <laughs> mm, 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just give it a little, little time to set in or the most gibbonist person in about 15 minutes. We'll see. Uh, that's right. One or the other. <laughs> And how are you doing this morning, Marcus? Basically the same story. <laughs> I actually took some time to make my coffee just right because I did not want to be bitter this morning. <laughs> yeah, but I think we're all caffeinated and ready for this. Yeah, we're going to be talking about soft and hard magic systems. First of all, what are they? These are terms that have, have popped up in the fantasy world builders lexicon fairly recently. They're not, they're not your classic terms for this, but honestly, there never were classic terms for this. One of the most interesting things about fantasy is how it's grown over the last probably 40 years into a legitimate and respected genre mm -hmm. though it's not quite gotten the the same level of of public acknowledgement as like literary fiction it's still growing and it's becoming more and more acceptable as a mainstream genre it's not nearly as fringe and so yeah. as that happens we're seeing an introduction of terms that define various pieces of it and allow us to talk about various pieces of it from a more technical or a more academic 
point of view. Mm. Hard and soft magic systems are sort of terms along these lines, yeah. right? And so today we want to talk about what they are, what is soft magic, what is hard magic. We want to talk about uh, some of the pros and cons of each, and more importantly, sort of how do they apply to your world building and, and how do they impact the world that you're making. Hmm. So James, why don't you kick us off? Do you mind giving us a brief definition of soft and hard magic systems? All right. Yeah. So I, I think really the first and most important thing to say, and, and, and this is something we harp on a lot here is that it's your world, right? Never mm -hmm. feel the need Absolutely. to like nail down. Am I working with a hard system or a soft system? All of the stuff we talk about in this podcast are essentially just kind of like, um, I love I love this sort of rhyme, tools, not rules, right? Like we put this stuff mm. together and say like, these are some things that can help you to grapple with what you're making and to provide some categories and understanding for it, right? So like, if it doesn't help you, don't use it, right? Like, don't go breaking out a saw to hammer a nail in. Like, it's it's okay. Like, if you've just got a different feel, that's good. So, right, it might work, but it won't work well. Yeah, I mean, it, it might get your hand. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> it, might, it might just derail what you're trying to do. Like, it's a bit. It's but you might get the nail in. Right. Um, but so, it, with that said, like, I think we 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 really all like in the fantasy community. I love that Seth saying, you know, this is like gaining legitimacy and things like that. I was once irritated on a world builders forum when someone was like, "This isn't sci-fi. It's been downgraded to fantasy at this point." And I went, "Whoa, downgraded? Hang on, yeah, <laughs> hold up, yeah, uh, no fighting words." <laughs> I know, I know, right? I'm like, that's so dumb. But anyway, I I, I digress. Um, so, uh, look, like we owe a great debt to guys like Brandon Sanderson and, um, there's a guy online, uh, Daniel Green, who does a lot of book reviews and mm -hmm. a whole pile of other people. I've just kind of seen laying this stuff out and, um, have really, really enjoyed, especially hello future me. And so the basic gist of these two terms, and we can feel free to be a little bit flexible with their definitions. Cause I think they're still kind of being developed, so to speak, but you have soft magic, you have hard magic, right? So a hard magic system has very clear delineated rules associated with it. It is, it is clear to the reader when a problem is solved using magic, how it works because its limitations are very well understood. So what hard magic does a really good job of doing is um, creating that sense where the reader's reading along and they go, but if this character were to burn this metal at this time and flare it, they could, oh my gosh, they did it. And like that feeling in your heart of just like, oh my gosh. And I was referring to Alamancy, Brandon Sanderson's own magic system that um, is a very, very well-established hard magic system. And what it does a really good job at is creating those moments of like, oh crap, like I can't, oh, that's so awesome. And it's, it's generated by two things. One is when the rules are obeyed and you anticipated it. And two, when the rules are broken and you are kind of, ooh, what's going on here? Because you trust the author enough to not just be doing a deus ex machina, right? Mm -hmm. Then the other side of it, soft magic, right? A uh, good example of this actually might be um, God of War, if you've played that game. Because uh, it's interesting that a lot of times we, when we think hard magic, we think mechanics and bits that work. God of War has a set of mechanics that work. But I'm going to tell you this. If you play God of War 4, you're going to see magic do a whole pile of weird stuff that doesn't make any sense. And Kratos is going to hit it with his axe. And like that's, 
and mm-hmm. but but that's fine. It's not made clear. You know that the main char- uh, the character is encountering a witch, and the witch puts the herbs in the pot and a special metal and the sap from the tree, and they put it in the pot. They drop a guy's head in it, and it comes out, and the head can talk. And we're just cool with that. You know what I mean? And right. The the um the, the characters will ask meaningful questions like, "Did he die within the last forty eight hours?" And you're like, uh, "Well, probably two days." And it's like, "Who cares?" You know what I mean? It's like, but all of this serves to build something around the magic system that we would call mystery or wonder. And I think this is maybe a stretch, but I think pretty much all magic systems were soft magic systems for the longest time. Tolkien's magic system, very soft. We don't really understand why Gandalf is fighting the Balrog, but what we do understand uh, or or why he felt he could go toe to toe with it. But we do know that it carries something to do with his mission. It has something to do with the opposite forces doing battle and fighting. We know that they're somewhat equivalent, but we're never given a clear picture of how or why. And we know that it's going to be costly. Mm-hmm. We have all of the narrative tools we need, even though we don't understand the magic, right? Soft magic can resonate very powerful psychologically. And I, I have to just tip my hat to Hello Future Me for opening my eyes to a lot of this kind of stuff as well. He I really enjoyed that YouTube channel as well. Going yeah, through guy's phenomenal so like you're we'll gonna have to a- drop a link to that in the description oh, for this 100%. podcast yeah so that's so i have okay i have a couple questions because this seems really interesting to me but i i start to wonder where the defining line between magic and alternate world physics is because I think one of the reasons that fantasy used soft magic systems was to differentiate it from science. And the challenge with a hard magic system is that it is, at the end of the day, simply a branch of, or it appears to be at least, a branch of science. That is to say, if a hard magic system has very definite rules that don't fluctuate, then my instinct is that the people in a world where that exists are going to sit down and categorize it and test it and develop it according to their hypotheses. Hypothesi? How do you say that? I believe it's hypotheses. Hypotheses. They're going, to t- they're going to test all of their different hypotheses and they are going to develop it in a way that is removed from the hero being awesome, right? All of a sudden it turns into something that's done in a lab. It's very interesting. So you're basically saying kind of the reverse of, I'll paraphrase it, any science that is like fantastic and unexplainable is indifferential from magic. Well, what if you apply all these laws to magic? Does it become indifferential from science? At what, point, at what point is it just a thing to do with the world rather than magic? Like, right. What, what, yeah. Absolutely. A wizard did it. And so that's yeah. the, I guess that's what I'm wondering is when you use a hard magic system, at what point is it just not magic? This is kind of a weird one. And um, but it, it largely because like, I, I, I think we may not get anywhere like that, that we'll we'll get to a clear answer to this one because 
I think magic systems were not designed initially as an allegory against uh, against science. I think they were more as a stand-in for the for the experience of awe and wonder that we have in a world that we can't fully explain, right? Like it's a pre-science kind of idea. And you could almost argue that any magic system in theory could be understood to the nines. And that's kind of a very Western sort of modernist perspective where it's like, if we just study it enough, we'll figure it out. But like, and, and in a lot of, so in a lot of TTRPGs, they, or even in, in some like modern fantasy, they do represent that as the difference between sort of the Western hermetic understanding of magic versus the, um, Eastern or the the shamanistic understanding of magic, right? Where you have because um, even like Shadowrun gets into this, where there are Western or Western European magicians who study magic in a very structured, practical way, and then there are also the native shaman who have sort of spiritual understanding of it, and they're both doing the same thing, just from different angles. I think I think that. You're right. There is there is a sense in which you know we w- could just go around in circles on this because there's no definite answer to the question I asked. But um, I think you bring up a nice uh, a point there, uh, especially as you know, kind of like the older stories like Tolkien, etc. Um, I guess C.S. Lewis as well. They mm-hmm. they portray a very soft magic system and, and and hard magic seems to be a little more recent um as people kind of really overthink it and i think it's because even then it's the a change of what magic represents in the stories of old versus modern day stories because mm-hmm. yeah in the one ring we don't understand exactly how it why the magic w- works you just know that it can turn hobbits invisible and it can corrupt the rare, rare, where it can corrupt people. <laughs> and, but it's not about how it works. That's not the point. The point is to the author used that magic to illustrate um, PTSD, mm. basically, as uh, Frodo goes through this adventure and he has witnessed all these horrors that are just amplified and basically uh, focused through this ring that he has changed by the end. I think at the end, you know, he's talking to Sam like, oh, can we just go back to the Shire? And Frodo's just like, I'll go back to the Shire, but it won't be the Shire to me anymore. Mm-hmm. It would change for me because I have changed. Right. And that a lot of people experiencing like going to war and coming back home with PTSD and not it's not the same home because they're changed. Right. A lot of people can relate to that because that was the, that was the um, purpose of that magic as telling that specific kind of story and idea. And I think modern, more modern stuff, people are interested in like, okay, but how does this, all this magic work? And now you have this new kind of um, experience for the audience, like James, you mentioned this kind of fantastical tension that you're right there with the hero, and you figure it out just as the hero does, and you're like, oh, as you're yeah. as you're reading through, and it's just a new, it's a new um, high, basically. Yeah, that's different. So it sounds like the the difference between hard magic and soft magic, oft 
often is going to lie in sort of the narrative intent of the world creator, right? What it is that the world creator is trying to get across in their story. So let's let's come up with some examples of where hard magic is done really well so that anybody listening can check them out and and maybe get a, a template or an idea of what good hard magic looks like. So um, I, my, my first, I've got, I've got a couple of examples here and I might run through them quickly. Uh, one is, um, there's obviously Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn trilogy, um, the initial trilogies, I'm reading it now. Um, I'm just kicking myself for not having read this earlier. I love it. Uh, but this is, is done super well because what happens is um, you gradually become acquainted with the system. And I'm not going to go too deep into the system, but um, I'll explain a small element of it. Uh, you consume metals and the, an allomancer or like basically metal wizard is somebody who can burn those metals in, in, uh, in their gut. And when they burn them, they can use powers associated with them. Now the powers are very, very simply aligned and they're, and they're put into certain groups. Like you could probably draw like a little uh, infographic like image of it, but effectively they're, they usually have a push and a pull. So we'll go with these ones, iron and steel. Iron and steel allow you to push on a metal. One allows you to pull on a metal. If a metal is very, very heavy and you push on it, you move away from that metal. If a metal is very, very uh, light and you push on it, it moves away from you. So when you take a coin and you flip it in the air, you go, you can fire it like a bullet, right? Because you are small, but you, you, the coin is smaller than you. Now, the other side of it is that when you pull on something, um, you pull it towards you. Now, that could be an advantage. If somebody flicks a coin at you, you've got a shield, you can go, Pook! pop it onto the shield, right? It's not telekinesis. You can't move things around. You can just move them toward or away from you at your center of mass. The end of the book, going to ruin this, one of the characters does this incredible thing where they just leap into the air and by pushing and pulling, they're able to totally levitate themselves in the battlefield and continue to move and shift and all the while pulling up objects, just yanking them and tossing them at the sky because he can do both pushing and pulling. Not everybody can. And so you get this moment where you're like, oh my gosh, that's what this guy was good at because he kind of seems like a dabbler the whole way through the book and you're not sure what his skill set really is. You know, you know he's very good, but you don't know the specific thing. And so you kind of realize, oh my gosh, that's what he'd been spending all his time on. That's how he got good. And he faces off with this big bad guy and he just starts like going, all right, it's going to get real. And there are a bunch of soldiers fighting around him. So there's tons of metal. And so he's just yanking himself up and he's, and he's zipping all around, the, all around this really hard, badass character. And then he's just throwing crap at him. He's just pelting him and he just, he just, pummels the crap out of him and you get this sense in this where you're like that checks out like i know all of the rules about how this works we've built it up over this time i've seen this character in action and now i'm like oh crap it's getting real man and you get so <laughs> stoked and you get wound up here's the other one harry potter wand lore right that's nice. another example of a hard magic system in in a in a book that is otherwise not a hard magic book right yeah so, yeah that was a one little, a little soft. Yeah. And if but you, it's but it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And Horcruxes are similar. You follow right. it along, you know, the basic rules. And because you know, the rules, you're like, Hmm, you know, when, when things happen in it, you're like, 
who owns the Elder Wand? And then you're like, what if this was a Horcrux, eh? And it's like, it's, <laughs> it makes sense because you're given the ideas ahead of time. And, um, right. but other than that, in J.K. Rowling's work, you point the wand and you go, flippity-jibbity, and, and things explode <laughs> and like books fall off shelves and you don't really know why. But these two elements, very hard. So that is, sorry, sorry, that was long, um, but I wanted to make sure I had like a clear, this is yeah. Yeah, yeah. So as I'm, as I'm sort of mulling over this, a couple of things are coming to mind. All right. First is the impact of TTRPGs mm. on this subject. Oh, yeah. And I wonder how much of our tendency towards hard magic systems, because what I was thinking about is, is Star Wars. Um, Star Wars is a very soft magic system when it started. Yeah. But increasingly, as fans have gotten involved, they have wanted a harder magic system. They've wanted to understand how the force works, right? They've wanted to get a clearer picture of that so that they could, in my, I think, so that they could really dig their teeth into the world and they could imagine themselves even as a Jedi. Mm. when you when you see a jedi do something and then you think to yourself well why didn't they just do xyz right yeah i think that as star wars has gone on people have wanted a harder magic system and so the whole extended universe started to build up the rules for this magic system yeah i wonder if our instinctive desire is in part due to our immersion in TTRPGs, which need to have a hard magic system in order to be fair to everybody involved. Now, obviously, you can have narrative systems that magic is, is just sort of hand-waved, but in order to establish a rule set and to treat all players equally, it's very important that any sort of magic is is really nailed down mm. and mm -hmm. that influence i mean it, there's no doubt that that influence has seeped into uh the way fiction or the way fantasy is written uh there's no doubt that it has influenced a lot of the worlds that have come since dnd started um, since TTRPGs really grabbed a hold of, of mainstream thought, the do you think do you think that we've lost something from our our sort of evolution into hard magic from soft magic? It's like what you said with Star Wars. Um, again, another example of you know older stories the quote magical system was to represent something else but as the audience matured with the star wars series it got more and more detailed more and more um at, at sometimes um you know complicated uh whether the fans liked it or not and medichlorians yeah you know, right? um and yeah, with stuff like like Dungeons and Dragons, like reading through like different spells and everything, and kind of the very hard magic is, um, oh, what's it called? The basically every spell needs kind of like either trappings or uh, components. That's what it mm -hmm. was. Components that 
your character needs on hand in order to do the spell other than succeeding on the roll, other than spell, uh, spending a skill slot. And I rarely see uh, a party actually pay attention uh, to those components other than uh, do you need to speak or not? Because right. if you, do you have speak, a somatic then you fail your stealth component. Roll. Right. You have a somatic component or are you quiet casting? So I think um, we can be people can be pretty selective of and and that kind of you know is there to like you know well you can use the pay attention to the components or you or you don't have to depending um but it's there yeah uh it's supposed to cost it's supposed to cost yeah and i think that's that is a, a main characteristic of particularly hard magic systems is that there is a cost you know there are limitations very cleared out um to make it predictable because i think uh hard magic systems versus soft magics hard magic is very predictable they have to be in order to get that uh that fantastical tension of like you know you figured it out as the hero did um where where soft magic it's more on they kind of get away with uh, stories that implement soft magic kind of get away from basically the point of view of the hero or slash the audience. Because when Gandalf, you know, does a huge spell, it's usually kind of, you're in the seat of Frodo for most of it. Yeah. You know, or another character that doesn't understand magic, you know. If the book was, if the story was told by Gandalf then we would have more insight on how he was able to do what he did. Um, so it's either from the magic in the story and a soft magic system is typically uh, from somebody who doesn't understand yeah. a magic. Harry Potter didn't understand, but then grew to understand and was able to then be the victor at the end of that whole saga by mm. understanding it. Yeah, that's uh, true. And or like like Harry, they, they are the magical person, but everything is new to them and they're not particularly in full control of what's mm. going on. But so it has that kind of unpredictability, but it's not so much deus ex machina that it relieves the tension yeah. of, of what makes soft magic kind of work. Well, uh, to not to dispel that wonder, like you would say, James. Yeah, and, and and there's a couple of times, like especially as you mentioned Star Wars, uh, where, where like earlier on about the use of the Force and things like that. So there's two, a couple of major moments in Star Wars that I can think of where the Force was used to move the story, right? Like, um, and each one of those was far more tied to the narrative growth of the character and mm-hmm. the expected outcomes for that character. So like, um, wow. and, and even then, I, this, this, is, this is stretching a little bit, but um, what happens at the very end of Return of the Jedi? Vader kills the Emperor, right? Mm-hmm. Luke doesn't just find the power within himself. Right. Luke doesn't suddenly turn around and go, I have more midichlorians than you, I knew it all along! And like blows <laughs> it up. It's just right. like, it's kind of like, instead what happens is he completes the fight with his father. And that emotional tension is resolved with Darth Vader picking up the Emperor. Why? Because he's got a 
big old cybernetic body and he's super tough. And we've established this narratively already. And he Mm -hmm. sacrifices himself. Do we know why suddenly the space wizard firing lightning out of his hands reverses polarity and hits the person carrying him rather than the person he's directing his hands at? Because all the emperor does is he does the cat and baby hold thing. He just puts his legs out. And that's it. He's just... <laughs> the whole time and like somehow it, it hits him and, and and but we resolve the narrative tension that's built there and the force is present all around it it's just not dictating the motion of the scene right mm-hmm. the other one is on jabba's um on jabba's skiff right as they're going along uh he this is where we see a demonstration of luke's prowess and capacity but the reason that's a payoff is because we already saw it as he was developing these skills with Yoda. We have a progression. The force just demonstrates the character's growth. It's not there to be like, oh, it's you don't have a moment where uh, Vader and Luke are pushing against each other and it goes, bah, 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 in the middle of Dragon Ball, CZ sound goes, and I scream, whoever the screams most? the loudest is the victor. <gasps> right? Yeah. Eight, <laughs> like 80 seconds of just the character going, oh, and like arching an eyebrow reflexively. Tune uh, in next episode. Yeah, Previously. <laughs> <laughs> Previously on Dragon Ball Z. Screaming. Uh, so that, that's, that's the deal though, is that like each time those magic powers were used, it was to resolve tension. And then later on, we kind of went, well, how powerful is Yoda? I'd really like to see Yoda fight the emperor. And I'd really like to see this. And I'd really like to see that. And so it became this effort of spectacle without the narrative payoff on it right like which is just kind of an interesting thing like i mean it's, I, honestly i've warmed a little bit to the to the to the old prequels and um mm-hmm. or the old y- you know what i mean the the, the whatever they were with uh natalie portman um and hayden mm-hmm. christensen mm-hmm. from my perspective <laughs> the jedi are evil so um it was just a uh it was like a a change there and, and I think you're quite rightly identifying it with, with TTRPGs but I can actually think of a TTRPG system that uses soft magic right mm-hmm. it just depends on your perspective Malifaux right so okay. yeah that's fair in, in Malifaux the breach yeah everybody has an ability yeah thank you that's the system Malifaux mm-hmm. Malifaux is the the world and the the context for it and uh, mm-hmm. and the tabletop game but the uh tabletop war game but the TTRPG for that you can manipulate fate by using cards, right, um, right, that you gain through it. So I'm not going to elaborate too deeply on it, but effectively you, you modify luck in the way that the game right. works. However, narratively, it doesn't play out like I did wizardry. Narratively, it plays out that I got a very lucky shot, right? right. Yeah, and yeah. it is unclear in the story and the way that we celebrate it and talk about it. Because when I do a sweet move and I manipulate fate to make it happen, everyone goes, oh man, I bet it's like your character like jumped backwards and was like, Pfft! and just shot him right yeah. in the eye and like you don't play it out like it was it was magic you used you play it out like oh my gosh i can see how this scene comes together which is right. a soft magic system with a load of hard rules attached to it because it has to be fair so yeah, that's, that's really like interesting a, yeah yeah i just thought about that i thought that was kind of wild in any system where you grant inspiration to characters like in D, that essentially is a soft magic system being played it's where your character inexplicably and for the purposes of the story gets a second wind right like mm-hmm. that's narratively really powerful and physically unexplainable yeah and i like how uh you bring um character development 
uh, in with the different magic systems. Um, I do believe soft magic, since you're not focused on kind of the rules and ins and outs of it, supports kind of character growth through that metaphor of magic and character growth a little more, but it's not exclusive because I've seen hard magic systems or more hard magic systems where the character grows. Mm. Um, In particularly uh, uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Yes. Now, I know Katara, it's not magic. For all intents and purposes, it's it's a magic system. So, uh, and and, uh, Zuko, yeah. Uh, it, it's been it's been mentioned that Zuko's growth, uh, particularly when he tries to learn how to redirect lightning, uh, he is unable to do it, even though uh, you know his mentor, Master Iroh, uh, teaches him you know how to do it, but he can't pull it off. Yeah. Uh, because there he hasn't gone through a particular growth yet, and until he faces his father and lets go of this guilt. And it's a very epic scene. Once he gets rid of his guilt and becomes his own person, he is able to redirect his father's lightning attack back at him wow. for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's and you you that in a hard harder magic system, you kind of make sense. So you kind of get that psychological tension and fantastical tension because you know he knows how to do it, but he somehow can't do it. Yeah he knows the procedure, but he didn't have the growth. And in that you see the growth and you see him do the procedure because, you know, bending is, you know, a martial art. There is a, you know, style to there's, every bending There's a, there's a discipline thing. and yeah, wow. So that also brings up something really, really interesting because there is a cultural difference between Western fantasy and Eastern fantasy. And Avatar, The Last Airbender, does a really good job of blending those things, taking Eastern fantasy and making it accessible for a Western audience. So for anybody who's not familiar, wuxia is the general term or one of the general terms for Eastern fantasy and specifically revolves around the cultivation of not only the technical side of somebody's ability, but also their mental and emotional side. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying there makes absolute sense, Marcus, that that in this in this hard magic system where there are are like sort of specific rules for how things work, you would not only need to have the the physical ability to do what it is you're trying to do, but you would also have to have the correct emotional state or the correct understanding of mm-hmm. of the Tao in order to or the the world in order mm-hmm. to make this a reality. Right. You can't even understand the Nasdaq, so I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh so, gosh. So I wanna I wanna bring this conversation um I want to I want to redirect us a little yeah. bit because mm-hmm. I think that we've done a really good job of exploring sort of the impact of of hard and soft magic on the narrative. I want to pull us back into what is the implication for the world that you're creating if you choose hard magic versus if you choose soft magic. Marcus actually asked this question sort of before we started recording, and I thought it was a really good one. How does choosing one type of magic impact 
your world and specifically the development of your world. And I want to sort of add a second piece to that as far as hard magic goes. We talked a little bit at the beginning of the episode about how a hard magic system might be different from a, a science. And I want to, I want to talk about that. I want to sort of extend that question and say, as far as development goes, how would a hard magic system impact the technology of a world versus how would a soft magic system impact the technological development of a world? So the two examples I was thinking of uh, when thinking of this question was Harry Potter and Avatar Legend of Korra, or specifically in between Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, because Harry Potter, kind of a mix of, you know, hard and soft uh, systems, but you, you go into this, the wizarding world, which is kind of the secret, you know, uh, society, you know, a, a community rather, and you got stuff like the newspapers have like these freaking animated gifs on, you know, on them. And I'm like, wait, did did they? And this was like, you know, I think it's a timepiece of like, what was it like the 90s, early 2000s? I don't know if it was contemporary or a little older than that. But th- did they just like have that kind of flexible screen technology that the military was trying to develop for all these years, but have it already? And I was, and there seemed to be the separation of like their developments and the quote muggles world because uh, you have that one dad who, Harry, could you explain to me what the purpose is of a rubber duck? Yeah, you know, it was just like, whoa, are you that removed from from muggle society and the wizarding uh, community rather, uh, those two communities, and and then the second was. Uh, the techno- technological development in between The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Because mm. in that hard system, you know, one of these bendings has a special quirk that the other three don't, and that is fire bending. Water bending, air bending, earth bending, you move stuff that is around you. Fire bending, you can seemingly generate fire out of thin air. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for the world? Well, they throw into an industrial revolution because they have a near undepletable resource source that is fire and lightning mm-hmm. you know, from all these firebenders. Uh, one of the main characters uh, that is a firebender gets money by working at the power factory as him and a handful of other firebenders benders just shoot lightning into a power generator that generates power for the city, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, that is a real, yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you, you know, just employ all these people that can just <laughs> be kind of your human batteries for right. for all intents and purposes and just pay them factory wage, yeah. you know, uh, for your developments. And, I, you know, I really want to know, like, I was thinking, like, is there any other examples or kind of like, more implications that you guys can think of that are kind of like that or ideas that you're like, I, why didn't they, I wish this world did this, mm-hmm. you know, that you guys can think of. Harry Potter has about 20,000 of them. Uh, like it's, uh, oh, it, it's Harry Potter, like um, applied Brandon Sanderson's zeroth law, which is air on the side of awesome. 
for right. like everything mm. they did. So effectively, or, or a better way to put it would be err on the side of quaint. They erred on mm. the side of a thematic element they were going for rather mm. than necessarily trying to create something that was entirely coherent and consistent. Like I, I, the thing that kept bugging me is that wizards would not work to combine their magics with muggle technology more. Like I, I genuinely mm -hmm. think like if the wizard markets were actually opened up uh, against the statute of secrecy, Arthur Weasley would be nouveau riche. He wouldn't be poor. He would have right. been the one who figured out how all of this stuff works and he would be combining it. He would be hailed as a genius and the wealthiest man probably on the planet because he is the one who has the most experience with dealing with all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. which is in the uh, most patents yeah yeah which is, which is <laughs> it's 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 nuts which would make sense for the malfoys actually to support the statute of secrecy uh even right. though apparently they they hated the statute of secrecy for some reason the statute of secrecy is viewed as a good thing even though it effectively enslaves a whole pile of sapient races to the wizards it's it's, oh, it's i mean that's why it's viewed as a good thing right yeah, because it exactly. Keeps, well, well, it keeps the, the status quo. All the bad guys hated it because they wanted to <laughs> enslave the muggles and all the good guys liked it because they wanted to enslave the other people. So, <laughs> like, but that was the, uh, anyway, so, so yeah, that, that's a lot of my beef with it is that I think there's a lot of social changes that, that would be impacted by magic that are not really explored in there, which is partly why there is mm -hmm. a cottage industry. And I literally mean an industry in reading J.K. Rowling's text like it was a freaking scripture and trying to extract meaning from it. <laughs> right. The truth is there wasn't a lot of meaning. And so the whole work is trying to make J.K. Rowling's work be hard something. when it's soft. Right. It's effectively like, it's exactly what you're saying. Like Super Carlin Brothers do this a lot. There's shed loads of fan theories. The truth is that J.K. Rowling's world was built more by her fans than her. Right. Like she just kind of made a cute story mm -hmm. and she aired on the side of quaint, which was really good for what she was doing. It was. Perfect. Yeah. It's, I mean, she's been very successful with it. And the more it develops, the crappier it is. It's true. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, I think where I land on this whole question yeah. is that, is that when we're world building, we need to very clearly answer the question, why are we world building? Mm. Because the truth is that if any sort of magic, hard magic system, were introduced to the world, the amount of changes socially that it would bring about, they would happen almost too quickly for someone to get a hold of, mm. right, from a world building point of view. Because often world building is simply a snapshot of a universe in a very specific moment of time, right? When you start to look at, at world building over time, you start to introduce a lot of complications and magic or a hard magic system would introduce those complications at such a dramatic rate mm. that I think it would be really hard to then, let's say, write a story or play a game inside that world. And the reason for that, unless unless rate of change is part of, of your story. So a good example of that is um, the, the speed at which computers evolve, right? Technology changes drastically in a shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter period of time mm. as it develops. I think there's a law about this, but about the exponential growth of of technology mm. and magic would be the same thing 
as somebody figures out an application, somebody else is going to build on that application and figure out another application, right? Yeah. And, and the thing about magic is that it is, unless you, you build in sort of the arbitrary restrictions of some people can do it and some people can't, and nobody knows why some people can do it and some people can't. And the people who can do it are only a really small portion of the population, right? Yep. That's sort of the safeguard that's built in chosen by the gods they're all right the chosen because ones. exactly because if you just sort of let it go right and said everybody can do it uh, your world would turn into a mess so unless it's very 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 hard to do because i think D operates under this presumption i don't think wizards are born with a gift i think it's just study uh, right? they, just some of them are study. though because oh, they, so, they just be sorcerers then well sorcerers have innate magic in their blood but not every person has the ability to do magic as far as I'm aware. Hmm. I could be wrong. I could be wrong there. That makes the most sense, but I'd always just kind of assumed that it was a it right. was related to the field of study. But yeah, no, gotcha. So there's, a, there's an interesting problem though, because realistically in a world where a very few people could do magic, we would end up with the mutant situation which is yeah. where hunted they are either hunted to extinction or they are hunted and studied because other people want to be able to do what they can do. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of the, part of the challenge with all of this is that introducing magic, hard magic, at least into your world allows for the opportunity for the people in that world to seize it, develop it, and use it. Whereas the advantage of soft magic in a world is people simply saying, well, we don't know, right? We can't do it. Gandalf can do that thing, but we can't do it. Can't strap Gandalf to a battery and have him power a city. Right. Like that's not, people have an, in in the world, people have an instinctive understanding that, that magic is somehow beyond them, that it is uncontrollable. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't have that enterprising person who's going to fly a kite up into the sky to figure out how lightning works. Yeah. But when you do have that enterprising person, well, your world really needs to be able to account for all of the changes that that is going to bring. So we've, we've covered quite a bit. Yeah. In this episode, we've talked about, what soft magic and hard magic are. And I, and I would treat this very much as a preliminary conversation. If oh, you yeah. have thoughts about this, definitely let us know. You can check us out on Facebook. You can uh, jump into our Patreon. We'd love to talk more about this subject because I think for, for all of us, it's a relatively new set of concepts to think about. It's a very helpful set of concepts to think about worlds and to think about how magic interacts with these systems. I would love to continue this this conversation talking more specifically about this difference between technology and and magic. Yeah. Um, and oh, yeah. talking about and talking about sort of the the dividing line where does fantasy become science fiction and where does science fiction become fantasy? And I'm I'm particularly interested in this because I the books I write are dealing with some of this to an extent. Yeah the genre I write is called game lit and it, and it, it toes the line between science fiction and fantasy. So 
I'd be really interested to just talk about some of these concepts further. If there are specific aspects of this conversation that you would love to hear us talk about or to get more insight into, definitely let us know. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. As always, check us out on all the social media. You can find helpful links to all of that stuff down below. We are going to link some of the various things that we've talked about in this video. Again, if you have examples of hard magic systems or soft magic systems, we'd love to hear about them. That's it for this episode of the World Craft Club podcast. Thank you for joining the World Craft Club podcast. Please go ahead and like us, subscribe to us on your preferred app. And if you use iTunes, rate us five stars if you think we're worth the rating. It really helps our numbers. If you're listening here, you're missing out on half the content along with loads of other goodies. So please consider becoming an exclusive club member at our Patreon page, starting at as low as $5 a month. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and jump on our webpage, worldcraftclub.com, to get the latest updates on our blog. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. This has been the World Craft Club Podcast. Thank you for listening.